The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him might not perish but might have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe has already been condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. The Gospel of the Lord. In his book, The Introduction to the Devout Life, St. Francis de Sales is writing to lay people and recommending to them how to recollect, how to put themselves in the presence of God when they pray. And he suggests of sitting down and meditating briefly upon the Most Holy Trinity to imagine, to visualize that God the Father is looking down upon you lovingly from heaven, that God the Son is radiating forth from the tabernacle or sitting beside you or with you, and that the Holy Spirit burns and dwells in your heart. In other words, St. Francis is encouraging each of us to recognize that whenever we pray, in fact, wherever we go, God is fully present to us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That God is always with us, before us, and through our baptism, in us. And as I mentioned last night, when we start to pray upon this and meditate upon this, and to experience that communion with the triune God, the undivided Trinity, we are changed we experience a metanoia. But by what are we changed? We talk about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We talk about all these things, God being one and three. We also know this about God. We can't even begin to know even the the slightest thing about God, but God has clearly revealed to us that he is love. 1 John 4, 8, God is love. And not only that, but we have, it has been revealed to us through Scripture and the tradition of the church that God is generative love, as all love is. That when we experience the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we experience a love that is generative. A love that is so pure, so perfect, so beyond our understanding that it generates. It creates us, it holds us in being, but not only that, it is three persons. And so when we start to live in this generative love, 
When we start to recognize the generative love of God, we cannot help but become generative love ourselves. In the second reading today, we hear from St. Paul, Brothers and sisters, rejoice! Mend your ways, encourage one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss, and the holy ones greet you. When we start to live with this God of love, we start to generate that love in our community, in our friendships, in our family, in our life. St. Paul says elsewhere in Romans 10:14, For how are they to hear without someone to preach? The word he uses there is kerygma. And so for each of us, as Christians, it's not only a life in the trinity of metanoia, conversion, it's also a life of kerygma, preaching, of sharing what the Lord has done in our hearts. In his beautiful reflection upon this in the Summa Theologiae and the Dominican life, St. Thomas Aquinas tells us that the model for Dominicans, the, the way of life that we are to aspire after, is contemplata aliis tradere, to give to others what has been contemplated. But that is for all Christians. That's not a simply unique charism of the Dominicans. We are the ones who follow after that, who prioritize that. But each Christian is called in his or her, his or her own vocation to preach, to share what God gives in the silence of the heart. And that is why it is so important, and perhaps more important now than ever in the world, to have contemplative vocations, to encourage young men and women to give their lives, to consider giving their lives in prayer, in silence. Because perhaps a word spoken in charity to a sister who has been irritating you for 10, 20, 30 years is the greatest gospel that will be preached today in the whole world. Perhaps that silence that at times can be harrowing, that at times can be absolutely horrifying, committing yourself to that, to that naked encounter with the Lord on a daily and regular basis is the greatest prayer that will be offered today. In his most recent book-length interview, Cardinal Robert Serra, the, Sil- the, the book's called The Power of Silence, I recommend it wholeheartedly to everyone, He talks, or he goes, to Grand Chartreuse, the headquarters of the Carthusian order. Now, the Carthusians are hermits, but the head of each what they're called charter houses is responsible for getting the newspaper and once a week informing the brethren and then the sisters' places what's going on in the world. And the head of the Carthusian order is actually interviewed in this book. And in their conversation with Cardinal Sarah, he says that, you know, There's nothing we can do here in the Charter House about the heinous war, the horrific war in Syria. But we can prevent the next Syria here in this house by praying, by loving each other. And this is the charisma that we're all called to, that no matter what our vocation, when we encounter the blessed Lord, we are able to change the world. We are able to change the world for the better. We are able to preach the gospel and to preach the triune God. Now, I would be remiss if during 
the novena, to the blessed sacrament, the Corpus Christi novena, I didn't in some way tie this also into the Eucharist, and so here goes. On Tuesday and Wednesday of this last week, I was at the priest's convocation for the Archdiocese of Indianapolis, where I am currently serving. And we had the privilege of having Father Ralph O'Donnell, who is the secretary for the Office of Clergy, Consecrated Life, and Vocations with the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. And one of the things that he was talking to the Presbyterate of Indianapolis about was vocations. And he was using the most recent CARA studies, uh, the most recent studies of all the men who will be ordained to, priest, to the priesthood this year. And one thing that stood out to me, because it was also rang true with my own vocation, was the power of Eucharistic adoration. 80%, 80% of, man, of men ordained to the Holy Priesthood this year say that Eucharistic adoration has played a pivotal role in their discernment of a vocation and their continuance and their perseverance in the vocation to the priesthood. And so it is without a doubt that the gospel that is preached in this chapel, the silence before our Eucharistic Lord, and the power that the Eucharist has in adoration for people is beyond measure. That we preach a gospel from the silence of adoration in here that will change the world. That the Eucharist, whenever we receive it on a Sunday or if we go to daily Mass, whenever we come in adoration, invites us deeper into that conversion, but also sends us forth for the kerygma. That no reception of the Eucharist in a state of grace is without exceptional merit. That every time we come to adoration, even if it's just for an hour and the world is falling apart and we have no idea what's going on in the world, we are changed for the better. When I was 12 years old, my, I was about to be expelled from my Catholic grade school for a litany of offenses. And my mother came to pick me up because I was being suspended indefinitely. And she had no idea what to do because the, the last offense, the straw that broke the camel's back, happened during homeroom. And so she had just dropped me off, so she was quite furious. But she took me to the Carmelite Monastery in St. Louis. And at the monastery during the day, from about 8, 8, from after Mass until after Compline, they have adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. And at 12 years old, uh, that week I'd also gotten braces, and so uh, and now I'm about to be expelled, and the school I wanted to go to the next year had just rejected me. I had no idea what on earth was going on. My mother, who was all of about five feet, maybe five feet one and 100 pounds, I was taller than her in the third grade, <laughs> drags me up to the front row of the chapel. She sits me in the front seat, and she walked out. Now, at 12 years old, I figured that this was maybe mom's way of saying I'm supposed to be a nun, but I didn't think that was possible. <laughs> but I sat there, confused, not really crying because I didn't really understand the fullness of what was going on, but it was in that moment, just sitting before our blessed Lord in the Eucharist, that I knew him for the first time, that I experienced his love for the first time. That I was drawn in to the unity that is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it was in that moment that I, I attribute the seedbed of my vocation. And it is throughout the rest of my life, moments 
of Eucharistic adoration that pit and pot all over and mark all over my vocation. And so we thank God for this place. We thank God for the women here who keep adoration and pray for the needs of the church, pray for the needs of friends and family, pray for the needs of complete strangers. And we ask God that for each of us, when we come before him to receive him today in the Eucharist, that we too might know him and that we too might preach that gospel wherever it leads us and wherever it may be.